it's pretty easy for us to be enticed with new. Like a new car. A new home. This is cute. A new job. <laughs> a new trend. A new look. A new you. Nope. And maybe that's not a bad thing. Because our creator seems to be all about new. Like a new promise. A new command. mercies, and even a new year. God not only loves new, but promises to make all things new. And we are invited into the sacred work. Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Well, hey, you know, this year, this year I will have been married 30 years, 30 years, wow, isn't marriage great, isn't marriage great, wow, you know, it, it's, it's amazing when you're married to your best friend, your soulmate, can I be honest, I would, I would rather hang out with my wife than anybody in this world, we just have a great marriage, but what if, what if, uh, this afternoon I go to my wife Tracy and I say, hey Tracy, I've been thinking a little bit and, you know, I love you, but... I want to just start seeing other people, nothing real serious, maybe to a movie, out to dinner. How do you think that would go? Yeah. How about try this one? I want you to go to work tomorrow. Well, I really don't want you to go to work tomorrow to do this, but think about it. Go to work tomorrow, and you tell your boss. You say, hey, I'm going to meet with you. I've got something great I'm going to share with you. In fact, it's so great, you're going to want to invite your boss. In fact, invite the whole board of directors. And so you show up Monday morning, and there you have the board of directors, and you say, hey, I got an idea. Here's my idea. I want to continue getting paid by you guys. Just pay me every week, every other week, however you do it. Just continue paying me. But here's the deal. Uh, I'm not going to actually, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to come to work anymore. In fact, I'm going to go to work for one of your competitors. And uh, if, that, if that works for you, how do you think that would go over? No, don't try that. Please don't try it. Don't say, hey, Scott Creed said good. Don't do that. Don't do that. Hey, it actually happened to us. It actually, not here at church. Not here at church. But about, I don't know, 25 years ago, we had a, when I was in the secular world, we had an office in Atlanta. And uh, it was a, just a small office, a one-person office. And uh, we got a phone call. And they said, hey, uh, I thought Mike work for you guys. We're like, yeah, Mike, he runs this Atlanta office. And they said, well, we're playing in a golf tournament, and uh, we were just introduced to Mike as working for one of your competitors. Ooh. So a few minutes later, after we verified the story, guess what? Mike didn't work for us anymore. He was let go immediately. And by the time that he got to the back nine, guess what? He was completely unemployed. You see, you can't be married and date other women. You can't work for this company and work for this company at the same time. You have to make a choice, right? You have to make a choice. Either I'm going to be married or I'm going to date other women. I'm going to work for this company. I'm going to work for this company. Jesus says it like this. You cannot serve two masters. Now, we're continuing our series in called 
entitled New Year, New You. And we're walking through the book of Romans. Now last week, Rocky took us through the first part of Romans chapter 6. Today we're going to be looking at the second part of Romans chapter 6. It's where Paul is addressing new believers and their relationship with sin. Now, there's a dangerous teaching that literally, literally is, is sweeping America right now. And it's nothing new. In fact, it's been around since the conception of the church over 2,000 years ago. It's the idea, it's the idea that you can have salvation without surrender. That you can be saved without being changed. That you can have a new home in heaven without having a new master here on earth. You see, we want it both ways, don't we? We want to love God, but we don't want to give up sin. We want to love God. We want to love sin. Now, this teaching is popular because it's cheap. It's a cheap salvation. According to this teaching, God gives you everything, and then what do you give God in return? Absolutely nothing. The teaching is popular because you can become a Christian without giving anything, committing to anything, or even changing anything. Now, the Bible teaches very, very clearly that we are saved by grace. We're saved by grace. We don't have to do anything, do we? It's free. We're saved by grace. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says it like this. For it is by grace, unmerited favor, it's free, we don't have to do a thing, you've been saved. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, but it's understood that little word called faith, that faith involves surrender. Faith involves commitment. Faith involves trust. Faith even involves obedience. The fact that you've been saved by grace is not an excuse for you to sin, but it is a reason to be obedient. Now, Paul had to deal with this church in, 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 in Rome, this, this exact same problem. In fact, people were going around saying, hey, if, if, if salvation is, is only by grace, I, I didn't have to do anything, it's, it's free. If salvation is by grace and it's not by works, it's not by keeping the law, then hey, let's just have a party. Let's sin and sin and sin and sin. This way God, he can show his goodness and his greatness and his kindness. And he can forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. They wanted to live any way they wanted to live. They wanted to do whatever they wanted to do. And they didn't have to worry about the consequences. Paul said this. Hey, don't you know you've died to sin. You can't keep on sinning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17, it says, it says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, praise be to God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he is giving us what? New birth. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24, Paul says, Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And put on your new self, created to be like 
God. Do you understand what these verses are saying? Paul's saying, if you die to self, if you die to self, you, you die to your old way of living and you become a brand new creation in Christ. You become brand new through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Spirit, you can turn from your old habits and your, your old desires and your old master. You can turn to Jesus and he'll give you new desires, new habits, and a brand new master. Now, this morning, I'm going to focus on three things, three simple things that become new when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The first thing that becomes new is we have a new master. We have a new master. Let's look at Romans chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading verse 15. It says, what then... Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? And then Paul answers his own question. He says, by no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey your heart, the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin, and you've become slaves to righteousness. Now, let me, let me tell you from the very beginning that God, God tells us something about ourselves that, that we don't want to hear. God reminds us something about ourselves that we'd rather not admit. We are all slaves to something. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm thinking the same thing too. When I think of the word slavery, I think of something detestable, something horrific. I think of one man enslaving another man. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about spiritual slavery, not historical slavery. In fact, it's what happens on the inside. Verse 16, it reminds us that we're all slaves to the one that we obey. So you're either a, a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. There are only two rulers in this world, two masters of this world. There's Satan and sin on one side, and there's Jesus and his righteousness on the other. And I've referred to this verse already, but in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it says, No one... No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Based on these verses, how many masters can we serve? One. Just one master. So let me ask you, what master do you serve? And remember, whoever or whatever you follow whoever or whatever controls your heart whoever or whatever is constantly on your mind that is your master now how does Jesus become your master well I want to I want to touch on this and then we're going to refer back to it just a little bit so I'm going to be brief with this it starts with the relationship with Jesus Christ 
You've just got to submit. You've got to willfully surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Have you? Is there a time in your life where you said, God, I cannot go on anymore. I'm tired of the way things are going. I'm tired of the old ways. I'm tired of sin. And I want to turn from that sin. I want to repent. The Greek word is metanoia. It literally means to turn away, to turn around. So you want to turn around from your old way of life, your sin, and you want to turn to what? You want to turn to Jesus and a new way of life and serve him by willfully giving your life to Jesus Christ. And once you've done that, you will want, you will want to obey God and you'll want to obey him wholeheartedly in verse 17 in verse 17 it says to obey from your heart now to obey from your heart means to to be fully devoted to God is to love the Lord with all your heart your soul your mind and your strength let me give you an example I love my kids I love my kids to a fault, probably, but I love my kids. And my kids love me. And they listen to me. They obey me. Well, they listen to me and obey me most of the time. But they don't listen to me and obey me because they want to earn my love. No. They listen to me because of our love. Same way with God. God loves you. And when you love him, you're going to want to obey him. You're going to want to please him. You are going to listen to him. Are you obedient? Are you obedient to God? So let me just pause just for a second before we go to the next point. Because I want to make sure you understand this. Who is your master? Can I tell you this? That's the most important question that you will ever be asked. Who is your master? God knows. God knows your heart. You don't have to play games. Who is your master? Now, if you're a believer, you not only receive a new master, but you also produce new fruit. Romans chapter 7 verse 4 tells us that we are to bear fruit unto the Lord. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 and 8, it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And I love this part. A man reaps what he sows. Say that with me. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Here's a simple principle for you. Sin leads to sin. Righteousness leads to righteousness. You're either going down the path of sin or you're going, to, or going down the path of righteousness. You can't have it both ways. You will reap what you sow. Verse 21 says, What benefit did you reap 
at the time from the things that you are now ashamed of, those things result in death. You see, when we're saved, what used to give us pleasure now brings us shame. Let me ask you, what type of fruit are you bearing? Fruit that when you stand before Jesus Christ one day that, that you're going to be ashamed of? Or fruit that will glorify God? I want to go to John chapter 15 because it tells us several truths about fruit bearing. The first truth is this. All Christians, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, all Christians will bear fruit. Every one of us will bear fruit. Let me begin reading in verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it will be more fruitful. Now, who is the gardener? God. Who's the vine? Jesus. Who's the branches? We are. Don't get that confused. You're not God. You're not Jesus. We are the branches. Then he mentions this word that we would rather not read. He says, they will be pruned. They will be pruned. He is referring to discipline. We don't like that. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's painful. But let me ask you a question. How many of you in here like to garden? Like to work in the yard? Love working in the yard, like to garden. Now, every spring, every early spring, after the last frost, you're watching the calendar and you're saying, I don't think it's going to freeze anymore. You go out to your yard, if you like to garden, and you start pruning your rose bushes and you start pruning your crepe myrtles and any kind of flowering trees, any kind of fruit trees, you start pruning back. Now, why do you do that? Because come early summer, what happens? More flowers, more fruit. Same way with God. God prunes us. So when he does that, we produce more fruit. We produce new fruit. Verse 3. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Verse 4. Remain in me. Remain in Jesus. Circle the word remain. As I also remain in you. There's that word again. Circle that word remain again. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must what? Remain in the vine. Circle remain again. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in him. Circle that word remain. Now obviously a key word is remain. Some translations say abide. It just simply means stay connected, stay attached. It's so important that Jesus says remain 11 times in the first 11 verses of chapter 15. And he says remain four times in that one little verse. It is important. Verse 5. He says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is not complicated. The key word is remain, abide, stay connected, stay attached to what? To Jesus Christ, the vine. Now, how do you do that? Well, through prayer, through Bible study, through worship, through fellowship, through serving. You know, a lot of people believe there's, there's two types of Christians. They're the 
the workers and they're the watchers. They're the servers and they're the sitters. That's simply not true. We're all called to serve. Now, the Bible makes it clear that if you are attached, that if you abide, that you remain to the vine, if you, if you remain to Jesus, that we will bear fruit. Now, some people may be thinking this. Hey, I've got, a, I've got some friends, and they're bearing a lot of fruit. It appears that they're doing wonderful, but I don't even think they're a Christian. And I would probably say you're right, but the fruit we're talking about today is eternal fruit, fruit that will last forever. The second truth, fruit-bearing glorifies the Father. Fruit-bearing is not meant to glorify you. It's not to say, look at me, look how flowery I am, look how much fruit I am. It is not about you. It is about the Father. It is to glorify the Father. Verse 8, this is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, fruit is not limited to soul winning, but let me tell you something. The greatest compliment that you can ever give to God is when you share your faith with others. The third truth, the end result of fruit bearing is holiness. The end result to fruit bearing is holiness. Verse 22, but now that you've been set free from sin, now that you've prayed to receive Christ, now that you're a believer... You become slaves to God. And the benefit that you reap leads to what? Holiness. And the result is eternal life. The King James Version says it this way. Ye have fruit unto holiness. In other words, when we bear fruit, the end result is holiness. We're being set apart for God. We're literally becoming like God. As we are becoming more holy, we take on certain attributes, certain qualities of the one we're set apart from. We become more loving. We become more righteous. We become more pure as we are becoming more holy. What kind of fruit are you bearing? The fruit that's making you holy or the fruit that leads to shame? Finally, once you become a Christian, you receive a, a new master. You produce new fruit. And then lastly, you will have a new home. You'll have a new home. Let's look at verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I call this the duh verse in chapter 6. It says you have two choices. Which one, you wish, which one will you serve? It says this, you can choose sin, sin that leads to death. Or you can choose the gift of God which is what? Eternal life. Now, I know some people say, hey, I want a third choice. I don't want to be a slave to sin, and I don't want to be a slave to, to God. I want to be a slave to me. I want to serve me. It's all about me. It's always been about me, and I want it to stay about me. Can I tell you, if you have that mindset, guess what category you're in? You're a slave to sin. 
and you need to be a slave to righteousness. You either love sin or you love Jesus and his righteousness. You know, what's so amazing about this, what's so amazing about this eternal home or or, our new home is it starts right here. It starts right here on earth. But it doesn't end right here on earth. Let me share Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 4. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. Isn't this exciting? He said, And he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more mourning or pain or crying, pain. For the old order of things have passed away. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what your new home's going to look like? I love watching the, the National Geographic Channel. I know I'm weird. But I love watching the earth. And, and I'm utterly amazed at how gorgeous our earth is. But let me tell you something. It only gets better. Because it's the new earth, we can expect earthly things like beaches and mountains and lakes and rivers and streams and waterfalls and trees. But it only gets better. Better than anything that you can ever, ever imagine. Verse 2 talks about this new Jerusalem coming down to this new earth. Let me give you just a glimpse of what this new Jerusalem, your new home, if you're a believer, will look like. There's going to be 12 gates to this city. And the gates are inscribed with the 12 tribes of Israel. Each gate is made with a single pearl. The walls around the city made of pure jasper the foundation of those walls made of 12 precious stones including sapphire emerald and topaz you know an angel said hey we want you to measure the city so an angel measures this new city and it's measured 1400 miles wide 1400 miles deep and 1400 miles high Now, if you look at that as a skyscraper, in each floor is 12 feet. There are over 600,000 floors. And on each story, it's big enough to house 62 million condominiums, over 10,000 square foot each. Beautiful. Main Street. Main Street. Going through the center of the city is made of pure gold pure gold as transparent as glass and then running through the middle of main street is a river the river of life coming from the throne of god does this not excite you but it only gets better in verse three what does it say he will be with us and he's going to give us comfort comfort and peace that we've never experienced before he says I'll wipe away your tears 
There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Theologian Sam Storms writes this. He says, we will constantly be more amazed with God, more in love with God, and thus ever more relishing his presence and our relationship with God. If you go to the next chapter, chapter, verse, chapter 22, verse 4, it says this, that you will be able to see his face. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine seeing the face of Jesus Christ? Touching his hands. Kissing his feet. D.L. Moody says, I could spend eternity staring in the face of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those that love him. Tragically, everyone's not going to go to heaven. Everyone's not going to go to this new home. Why? Because you've not changed masters. How? Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Give your heart to Jesus. John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. It says, Jesus said to her. Now, who's her? It's Martha. Rocky touched on this story last week. Jesus said to her, to Martha. It's the sister of Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus dies, and, and this is right before Jesus resurrects him. He said, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. No one believes in me will live. Oh, excuse me. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he says something very profound. I can picture Jesus Christ looking directly at Martha with love and, and care and compassion, just looking at Martha. And he says this, Martha, do you believe this? And she did. So I'm asking that same question. Friends, do you believe this? In Romans chapter 10, verse 8 and 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I met with a two friends this week I've known them for probably about a year they were in my office and and we were talking and as I normally try to do I try to try to swerve the conversation to spiritual things and I asked her if she was a Christian she said absolutely I asked him if he was a Christian and and his answer was you know one he's he's a lifelong veteran he goes hey I, I, I think I am and you know, I've seen some things, and I've had to do some things in the military, that I, I, you know, but I think I'm saved. And so we talked a little bit more, and I, and I still wasn't quite sure. And, and so finally, I just cut to the chase. I said, if you died right now, would you go to heaven? He said something that I think a lot of you would say. I hope so. 
I hope so. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to bet my eternal destination on I hope so. Verses 8 and 9, it says, you what? You will be saved. It doesn't say, I hope you're saved. I think you're saved. You could be saved. Let's give it a shot here. It says, you will be saved. And then this guy prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He has a brand new home in heaven one day. Because he's put his faith and his trust in Jesus Christ. You know, God promises victory over death for everyone who believes. So place your hope and place your trust in Jesus Christ. And your new home will be reserved and secure. You can choose sin or righteousness. You can choose to reject Jesus Christ. Or you can choose to accept Jesus Christ. That reminds you. Not choosing to make a decision at all is rejecting Jesus Christ. Now, some of you may be saying this. I want to wait. I want to wait. Before I give my life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to wait until I graduate high school. Or until I get out of middle school. I'm going to wait a little bit. Because, Scott, you don't understand in high school, you know, there's a lot of peer pressure. And if I tell everybody I'm a lover of Jesus Christ, they're going to make fun of me. They may, not look, they may look at me differently. So I'm just going to wait till I graduate high school. But when I graduate high school, I'll turn my life over to Jesus Christ. Somebody says, I'm going to wait till I graduate college. <laughs> you don't understand. I want to experience college life. It's cool. I'm going to wait till I graduate college. Some people may say, hey, I'm going to wait till I get married. I'm going to wait till I get married. This way when things settle down, then I'll start... Then I'll start going to church. Then I'll get right with the Lord. Some will say, hey, when I have children, I want to raise my children in church. And that would be a great time for me to get right with the Lord. Some of you have said, hey, I'm going to wait till I climb that corporate ladder. I'm going to focus on my job. I want to focus on my career. I don't have time to focus on Jesus right now. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till, till I get that, that position that I want to at work. Some say, hey, I'm going to wait till I retire. I don't have anything else to do anyway. I'll just love Jesus. So I'm going to wait till I retire. I'm just going to I'll play golf and I'll retire and I'll work in the, I'm just, I'm just going to wait till I retire. I'm going to wait. I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. You know the problem with waiting is you're not guaranteed tomorrow. James chapter 4 verse 14 says it this way. What is your life? You're missed that appears for a little while and then what and then vanishes you know whether you live to be 75 105 155 your life on earth is like that that's it so are you ready have you made that decision to pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Don't bank on hope. Bank on will. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through 
me being Jesus Christ. Don't wait. Give your life to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Father. Father, thank you for the hope that you give us, and the joy that you give us, the peace that you give us. Father, thank you for your grace. It's by grace we're saved. And Father, I know that in a room this size and this many people, there may be a number of people that are banking on, I think, I hope. And God, you don't have to do that. If you believe that God's word is absolute truth, it says whoever, whoever calls upon, upon the name of the Lord will be saved, period. You're saved. So if there's someone in here that may not know, or may say, I'm just not sure, nail that down today. Pretty simple. All you have to do is just pray this prayer. Pray it silently. Pray it silent to yourself. Say, Father God, I know I'm a sinner. I'm tired of the old ways. I'm tired of the old desires. I'm tired of the old habits. Father, I want to turn away from that sin. I want to turn away from that old way of life. Forgive me. And Father, I believe that Jesus Christ left the perfect place, heaven, came to this earth, took all the sins of the world, all my sins, and paid the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. Father God, I want to give my life to you. I want to make you a priority in my life. I want to surrender my life to you. Remember, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to God's family. Other of you may be in here today and it's a new year and, and you've prayed to receive Christ and you're a Christian, you're a believer, but for whatever reason, God hasn't been a priority in your life. Your marriage isn't, isn't where it needs to be. Your kids are driving you crazy and you don't know what to do. Things at work aren't going great. Your finances, your health, I don't know. But God, I know you know. And you just need to get right with God. And you just want to say, God, I'm tired of playing games, Father. I've drifted somewhere along the way. I've drifted away from you. But God, I want to, I want to get real with you now. I want you to be the center of my life. Come back. Father God, I just want to say from the depths of my heart, we love you so much. God, thank you for being the perfect Father. Thank you for loving us the way that you do. Thank you for showing what love is. God is love. So, Father God, thank you for your presence. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, what I want you to do, if, if you prayed that prayer, if you prayed that for the prayed that prayer for the very first time, I am actually going to beg you. I'm going to plead with you. On the bottom of that card, it says this. I have prayed receive Jesus Christ. Hey, don't wait. Let me tell you something. There's nothing worse than making the greatest decision in your life and not knowing what to do. I will promise you, I will make this commitment to you. If you mark on that card, I prayed receive Jesus Christ, I will make this, I will call you. 
and we'll set up a time or we'll talk over the phone, whatever's best for you, so that we can find out what's the next steps. What does this involve? In just a few minutes, we're going to have altar, altar time. We're going to have the opportunity to come to the altar. We're going to have the opportunity to pray. We can be real with God. Isn't that amazing that we can just sit down and talk to God and tell him what's on our heart? There'll be pastors here. If you prayed to receive Jesus Christ, you could even bring that card up front and so that we can celebrate. We can ce- Is there anything better than celebrating with a brand new believer? Nothing. And we can pray for you. So just in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to stand now. I'm going to pray. I'm going to encourage everyone to come forward and pray, get right with God. If you prayed to receive Jesus Christ, come to one of our pastors. So I'm, I'm going to pray. Please stand. Father God, thank you. Father God, thank you for the privilege that you allow us to come this morning and worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. God, thank you that you love us enough that you desire to talk to us, that we can just be real with you. Father, your word says, be still and know that I'm God. God, I know it's already been a busy week. It's been a busy year. But God, you want us to to just slow down a little bit. We don't want to miss you. So, Father God, part of that slowing down may be just to come forward, come to the altar, pour our hearts out to you. Just say, Father, I love you, and I want you to center my life. If you prayed to receive Jesus Christ, come forward. Come to one of our pastors. We want to talk with you. But this is an opportunity for you and your family just to come forward and and just tell Jesus, thank you. So, Father God, bless our time. Bless our altar time. It's in Jesus' name I pray.